Welcome to the LTID Network Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Anderson, and on this podcast, we seek out the world's best researchers, coaches, support staff, teachers, and athletes to better understand the process of long-term athlete development. Don't forget to get your seven-day free trial to our online platform and 50% off your first month with the code LTADVIP50. That's LTADVIP50 at the LTAD Network Hub website. This podcast episode is sponsored by Statera. Statera is a web-based application that helps youth athletes and their stakeholders estimate training load, track maturation status, monitor readiness, and manage injury. Put together by coaches working with busy youth athletes, Statera helps keep things simple and brings together the most important training information in one place to ensure that effective athlete-centered decisions can be made. No more complicated Excel tutorials and spreadsheets. Just upload your athletes' data and their training schedule and start to take control of their training commitments and workload. Make more informed decisions and protect your athletes' well-being, supporting their performance. Statera takes your data very seriously. GDPR compliant and registered with the ICO, choose from a range of maturation indices and validated measures, or customize your own. Statera can record any training variable and all your data is fully exportable. To reach out today and get a free walkthrough, head over to www.statera.uk. That's S-T-A-T-E-R-A dot U-K. Join us in Edinburgh, Scotland for the LTID workshop on February 25th and 26th, where Rob Anderson and Jared Deacon will be covering the LTID network pathway and all things adolescent training, including the development of strength, power, speed, and agility. Head to the LTID network website now to book your place on this fantastic workshop. Welcome to the LTID Network Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Tom Clough. Tom has spent the last 20 years negotiating the trials and tribulations of working in professional rugby league and rugby union, learning from mistakes he made as a coach, as well as the adversity of clubs going through administration and relegations through to the highs of promotion. Tom now works as the head of athletic performance at Ulster Rugby, where he spent the past four seasons. Tom has learned that whilst you can make quick progress going it alone as a practitioner, you can also make big mistakes. Now he fully invests in trying to facilitate a co-created training environment where players and staff can consistently develop and perform. Good morning, Tom. It's great to have you on this morning. Thanks for your time. Cheers, Rob. Thanks for for making time for me this morning. Yeah, that's always busy. Pro rugby can be a pretty unforgiving schedule, so trying to swoop when there's a window of opportunity is always uh, an important thing to do. No, no, it's all good. Uh, Yeah, appreciate the time. Good to get a break and, and... Talk about something other than rugby, probably. So before we dive into your role at Ulster and the, the ones you've helped before, take us back a little bit to when there was a, a young Tom running around. What were the sports that captured your imagination? Was it always rugby union or were there other things ticking about in there? Yeah, well, I'm from, you know, you'll tell from the accent, although I'm at um, Ulster Rugby now in uh, in Ireland, um, based in Northern Ireland here. I'm I'm from the north of England, so rugby league is is my background. Um, I would have tried every sport going cricket for a bit and and football, but uh, yeah, I've no no talent in in either of those, and probably a little talent in rugby league as well. But I did, I did enjoy it for the most part through uh, through my childhood. So yeah, that that'd be me. But very very sporty. Um, 
yeah, I just loved everything about sports. So I'd, I would play anything and everything and, and enter anything or everything. So when was it that you realised that maybe uh, the rugby league career wasn't going to be your path, that coaching was something that was kind of calling out to you? When did that kind of start to enter your frame of mind? Yeah. Well, I don't think it's a prerequisite to having a successful S&C career, but obviously I think a lot of them, a lot of us do fail in sport, either through talent or through injury. Um, and I probably failed through both. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of got up to kind of like a semi-pro level um, coming out of uni and, uh, yeah, a couple of, couple of bad injuries and probably a, a lack of... Um, a lack of top end talent would, would probably seal my fate in terms of uh, how far I would go. And, and to be honest, like initially I, I came out of sport for a while. I was, I was pretty fed up by that point, kind of early twenties. And uh, and I came away for, for from it for probably about five years. Uh, and then I started feeling the pull to come back. And, and, and that's when I came back into it. Mm. So uh, what uni was it you went to and what, what kind of career twists and turns did you take post post uni? Yeah, well, I did. Um, I did a sport management degree at Northumbria, and then I, I like I spent. I was playing at Huddersfield at the time in the in the academy, and I spent all my time back in Huddersfield, to be honest, and and sacrificed my studies for that. So I, I kind of limped through a degree uh, to some sorts, and then I studied. I didn't really have a clue what I wanted to do. You know, I just it was just interested in sports and I just followed that, that path and, and and it's turned out where it has, but I, I did some sports therapy then uh, through a private institution when, when I got out of uni, um, did a little bit of work, then personal training qualifications through the American college of sports medicine. Uh, and then I got into personal training really. Um, and, and I kind of shifted around there for, for a few years. It's mm. quite a common route for a lot of people, isn't it? It's like you kind of, Figuring out, okay, maybe I don't want to be a sports coach, but I don't necessarily know what I want to do. And, and you kind of get into coaching human beings, you know, just on a general public level. And then you think, oh, maybe I'd like to try my hand at yeah. coaching some athletes. Well, as I've gone from my uh, through my career, I've only just done a piece of, of, of um, re reflective work, actually. Um, and, yeah, in that process, probably realising that I am a coach, first and foremost, and it is a passion and it is a drive. And I think I've... I don't know, I find that I've been, although I'm in this position, I've been taken out or I allow myself to come out of that a little bit, maybe thinking it was it was something much more than it was or, or my value was better spent elsewhere when in reality uh, I'm a coach. I like helping people um, and and that's a, a real value of mine. So actually I've really enjoyed that process of getting back into coaching a lot more. And and I think, yeah, that, that's it. Th those that can't teach. And I think, I think we're teachers at heart and, and, and yeah, at that point where I couldn't, even though I was obviously trying to earn a living through being a personal trainer, I think that, that teaching and coaching uh, aspect and love of sport just brought me back in, you know, a few years later. So you know, the light bulb goes on. You think, okay, this is the coaching is going to be the route for me. What did that next step look like? Was it back to uni? Was it getting hands-on experience? Combination of the two? Yeah, well, it was. It was trying to figure out like what what does that look like? You know, I had I had a personal training business. Uh, we had, we had um, we had staff working for us. We had a few sites that we we were managing, and you know, it was going reasonably well. But it was it, it was tough enough as well, and. And I suppose I was looking back in then. I was looking back in at sport and looking, and and, and I was aware of strength and conditioning. I'd, I'd been through it myself. I'd been taught well, um, 
we had a strength and conditioning coach, Trevor Commons, at, at Huddersfield, and you know I really enjoyed the stuff we were working on. I'd done the sports therapy and worked with a few teams, albeit just in in, in contracting periods. So when I started looking in, and, and a lot of my reading and study, um, it, it, Mike Boyle's strength and conditioning was standing out as oh this could be a, this could be a route in to see what this is about, and and I'm kind of one of those that always tries to immerse myself in something. Um, and I just felt ready for that break. So at, at 26, I, uh, yeah, I sent an email to, uh, to Mike and then I don't know, probably three months later, I was living in Boston for, for three months on a, on a full-time internship. Mm. What was that like? Cause Mike's obviously got a bit of a, a persona online, I guess now of being a bit of a grumpy old man. It, he, we had him on the podcast a few, uh, a few months back and he was fantastic around his kind of, you know, programming 101 and things like that. So what was your experience when you, you know, when you go and meet here as a person or you meet these people in person, is it, you know, does he come across the way he is day to day or is he, you know, a, a bit more personable in, in, in the flesh? What's he like? Yeah. You know, I think what you realize is that, that that's, um, that's the business and, it's extremely well run and the good things about that business is that he's systemized a program that gets put out no matter what level people are at and and what you see and what i felt i saw is it was it was very coach intensive uh, which i think is a is a really good thing uh, and something that we try and, and push here at ulster um it's coach intensive it's appropriate and it develops people and i think what people get maybe hacked off is that it's not all bells and whistles and and fancy things, but actually the principles of what he does are done really, really well. They're done really, really consistently. You don't see unhappy athletes in that facility, um, and it's really well run. and And you take a lot from that. And it's not just from Mike; it's it's actually his his staff. And you've probably seen where some of his staff have gone to in the industry as well. Like he's doing something right, if that's the case. So yeah, you know, you 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 read some of the stories and and some of the comments with a with a little bit of a little bit of a smile but uh i think he's just a, a decent guy that has a really good business and and he's pretty savvy with uh in the strength and conditioning world yeah it's it is funny because you do get these people who maybe polarize opinion but i i think um mike ball is one of the ones who you, you probably end up coming back to over and over time like one of the things that he said uh i don't know if it was on the podcast or a tweet that really in now in retrospect makes a huge amount of sense is, is how your facility dictates your programming like you can want to do you know potentiating work with bands and chains or whatever but you haven't got it you can't do it so you've got to fit your program to the space you're in and, and oftentimes if you're in an academy setup that might be a venue that's not you know 100 ideal or you know schedules change and there's two teams training at once and suddenly you're out on the pitch instead of at the gym and you know having that flexibility to to realize actually you, you've got this idea of what you might like to do in your head, but realistically you're constrained by your yeah. environment and, and doing the most appropriate thing there is really important. Yeah. And, you know, it breaks the program down as well into its components and then basically teaches those components really, really well. Um, and then when you put it together, it's, it's a pretty decent comprehensive program. And, uh, you know, let's listen, there's all this stuff about the, do you squat or don't squat, but there's people squatting in that facility. You know, but it's not, it, it, I think that, I think, I think the perception or the persona that's being portrayed suits the marketing yeah, <laughs> of yeah, what yeah. it is. Um, mm. And people can believe they can either go see for themselves uh, as I did, or they can, they can come up to their own conclusions. Like, I don't know. Yeah. My, my day goes on regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Now I think it's really interesting what you said there about having, you know, kind of a programming system. Cause I think one of the things that can happen with SNC is, you know, 
as you said, having something that was consistent across all levels and appropriate, it frees you then up to do the real coaching, to give the individual bits of feedback, mm -hmm. the cues. But if you're constantly managing the space or managing, oh, you need to go and do this, you need to go and do that, yeah. actually you're a bit more of a logistics manager than a coach. And actually you're not giving the athlete the feedback or the little improvements and tweaks that they need. Absolutely. I, I just think in, in my career, coming full circle back to back to that back to the coach interaction and and actually uh you know we have great bits of technology that that means you can program in certain things and you can almost create all this autonomy in a in a program for a player and the player's probably probably crying out for a bit more guidance from the coach that's that's an expert in this area and, and can guide them through that and then you know you can get the autonomy on the back end but we at, at Ulster, you know i think i think of my journey kind of three professional clubs that i've been at kind of coming back to this how do you facilitate small coach groups which you know was definitely the setup at Mike Boyles if I think back you know but uh, for example here I take props and locks and but I've got I've got three other coaches working with me there one's taking uh, one's taking the back row and hookers one's taking the centers out halves and one's taking the back three um and I think getting that interaction of of coach athlete at, at those small numbers, the the progress I think we've made on the back of making that change is is ridiculous compared to programming through technology before and it being all singing all dancing. We we you know we haven't gone back to pen and paper for individual athletes, but we've gone back as a as a group to this is going to be a coach session and these loads reps sets exercises are going to be figured out as we go through and, and it's going to be an actual personal interaction and it's going to be right for you as an individual while still being while i still know for a team that the system in place means that the team's working on the themes that we want to get better at mm, absolutely so take us back to some of those initial roles so bradford balls is obviously one of, of the, the initial starts starting in the academy what was it like jumping into that environment being an, an academy snc coach in the rugby league world yeah, I yeah, love that. Like, yeah, I absolutely loved it. You know, there's just reality is in rugby league and academy level, it just doesn't, you can't make a living out of doing that. So that was very much personal training through the day, going to the academy as a volunteer initially, a uh, little bit of money the next year, a little bit of money the year after, but, you know, nothing that's going to do anything for you, uh, apart from keep petrol in the car. And, you know, you just, with young guys, probably cl obviously closer to my age then that are trying to achieve things that I couldn't achieve, but where I felt I still could add value. Um, I think, yeah, I learned a hell of a lot in, in, in that role. And, uh, and then, and then that went, obviously that created the, the opportunity to go into the senior team as, as the head when, you know, it, it, it was a club that was really successful and then went through administrations and various changes and and within that is opportunity but within that as well is massive challenge and, and I felt I learned absolutely you know, I've, I learned so much about professional sport in that period um I'd say programming wise and SNC wise um I was running what I thought was my program and and what I, what I felt by doing that kind of as a lone practitioner or with one of the staff member eventually is that I could do really well on certain things really fast and and I also could do really badly on other things because I just couldn't scale anything and and have uh, and have all the bases covered so yeah a big big learning period for me at, uh, at Bradford hmm. and then obviously you took a, a little step away into the academic world uh, at Leeds Beckett what was that role like your part-time as a lecturer is that right yeah, well, you know, I suppose luckily through the contacts that, that I made at uh, Bradford at the time and 
you know, I'd, I'd been kind of let go out of a contract at Bradford, uh, and you find yourself, you know, with, with not the best network, and you know, there's no job market, there's not a big job market out there. So luckily, um, I managed to get some lecturing hours at Leeds, and uh, I, I'd done my masters there previously, so. Uh, so yeah, that's a good experience. You know, like go, coming back to that coaching, teaching is is the same thing, really. So it, it kept my, uh, I suppose, it scratched that itch, and it, it and it, and it allowed me to to go through that year with a view of then getting back into the, uh, you know, like I I've never been, I suppose, for for maybe people listening, like I would still have online personal training clients now, you know, even though I've moved up moved away. Like I'm I'm not one of those that thinks that this is my only kind of role. I I don't really mind who who I coach. Um, so whether that's personal training, whether that's lecturing, whether it's through through my full time profession in in SNC, like I'm not not a snob to any of it. Like it, it all ties in with, with with me as a person, and and uh, ultimately that responsibility that I've also got uh, a wife and kids as well. I think that's the thing. Uh, we talk to a lot of experienced coaches that ultimately it does just boil back to that, just helping human beings improve. Like, yeah. And if that person happens to be a professional rugby player, great. If that person happens to be yeah. a 12-year-old kid, great. Or, you know, yeah. a 30-year-old working professional, great. Like, if if I, you want to work with me, I want to work with you kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. No, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Like, it's, uh, yeah, you know. But, and, and yeah, like, players have got their own stuff going on. And, obviously, you know, who's star players and who's developing players and, and so on. But uh, I suppose for, for my philosophy, like, to me, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what that like just just doesn't make any kind of difference to me just I'll, I'll treat the person as 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 they come and and as they treat me so tell us a bit about the transition to Hulk KR and then when Ulster appeared on the horizon what take us back and, and tell us a bit about your time there yeah yeah Hulk KR was uh was again pretty pretty different experience um so, so I went in uh, Jamie Peacock took me into Hull KR. He, he'd gone in as director of rugby. Uh, great, great guy. Learned an absolute ton off him in in in, in uh, that position. Uh, and then we went through turmoil at Hull KR because we got relegated then in that uh, first year. And uh, and the odds are stacked against you then too. Well, number one, you need someone that's going to back you and realise that your program is not shit. Um, uh, you know, and that. You, you you are capable of getting the team back or playing a role in in getting the team back into the Super League from the Championship and and the, with the salary cap and and stuff like that the odds are pretty tough to get back and and luckily we we, we got back then the the, the first uh, year of asking Tim Sheens had come in and was the former Australia coach uh, loads of experience and and again like I suppose I, I think what I'm really lucky to do is is learn from really high performing pe- people. As I've gone through my career, but they're all completely different. So even at Brad, uh, Bradford, you know, where we're going through that, these administrations, Francis Cummings was the head coach, you know, an absolute ton, you know. And then when a new coach came in and I was being let go, yeah, it was a negative experience at the time. But I also learned a hell of a lot from my experience as well. And these experience experiences are obviously part of the journey, but the, the shape what practitioner you end up becoming, and and. Uh, I really enjoyed it at Hull KR. Um, really enjoyed working with, with the coaches there and the team. And then we got promoted. We stayed in Super League. And then I got the opportunity to come across to uh, to Ulster and to Rugby Union, which was, I suppose, I'd flirted with in the past a little bit, but never really made any 
so no, really good at hockey. I got the opportunity then to come across to Ulster. And uh, yeah, I'd flirted with the rugby union in the past. Um, and it was just kind of a random opportunity that came came up, uh, applied. You know, like I know everyone thinks it's, it's contacts and uh, a lot of the times it is, but this was uh, just a genuine application form online, interview process. Uh, and well, yeah, they just 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 took it didn't know much about it and, and just took it as an opportunity and actually the growth i've had four years now i've been here kind of the, the growth has has been huge uh and, and really enjoyable how did you find it switching codes obviously i mean there's a huge amount of similarity and, and overlap in terms of the combative element the running you know the the nature of the game some obviously some very different intricacies in terms of things like lineouts and scrums how yeah you know was there a learning curve for you in that or were you pretty already comfortable in that world yeah no i wasn't comfortable in that world no um yeah but first and foremost i i have more staff here than than i've had in in previous roles one of the guys shane kind that worked with me at hull kr is over with me now at ulster um but I I have a few more staff at Ulster and the staff that were already in place were very, very good, which afforded me time to to learn and understand and actually um take a take a an extended view of what the program, where it was strong, where it was weak, you know, what what kind of changes I might have wanted to bring in, what the head coach at the time wanted to bring in, you know, because he'd come in maybe just a month or two before me. Um so I was trying to facilitate all that and then get to grips with all these different positional demands, which we knew. And, um, but that's not the complicated bit, really. It's just, it's just the people. It's just getting, getting to know the people and, and okay, what, what do these guys know and, and where are their strengths, where are their weaknesses and what kind of program can we put together? So how would you describe your philosophy in your programming? We've talked a little bit about, you know, processes and systems and the small group stuff. What for you is the really important bit and what's the the icing or the fluff on top of the cake? So what are your big focuses and what are the nice-to-haves? Yeah, I, I think if I'm thinking coming through, I was at Bradford, I could dictate everything that I wanted to in terms of programming and would would try and run an all-singing, all-dancing, individualised programme. Um and through that, you can get really, really good, really, really quickly in certain areas, and you can get really bad in other areas. I've gone to whole KR, I've, I've now got staff, and I've now got different knowledge to my knowledge, and I'm trying to facilitate how that how that goes in, and I've got changes of coaches quite often. So I'm, I'm then trying to take this rugby philosophy, the philosophy of staff, mixed with what I want to achieve with the team and try and put that together and, and do that to varying degrees of success and, and failure. Um, and then I come to Ulster and I've got more staff here, but I've got a bigger programme to run now. And, uh, you know, in my position here, I'm employed by the IRFU and uh, and with Ulster. So I've got what, what the head coach wants. Um. So I've got what the the uh, head coach wants, and then I've got what the national team want to work towards. Um, so a couple of different KPIs there that that, that you're trying to marry together. So it becomes about uh, systems, becomes about people, and about the different talent that that, that I've got um, at my disposal here. So, you know, and that's that's what I'm gifted with. You know, so actually it doesn't become about my philosophies anymore. It becomes around, okay, what are the KPIs from these different areas? 
what's the talent we've got within a department? How does that department work with other departments to get the most from this program? So, uh, yeah, it just becomes a, 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 around the people. I think that that's the main focus. And then actually, you know, once you've communicated and you've, you're trying to get buy-in and alignment on certain themes that you want it to work on, so then we, if we pick an S&C theme and go, right, we want to work on lower body strength or we want to work on power or we want to work on speed, it actually, I, I need all coaches to be able to coach to a similar level, to similar agreed outputs. And so then it becomes about, well, what, what you know, if you include them, um, they'll buy into it a lot more. So I'm not looking to tell them, well, well, you must do this at this time, even though that's probably the outcome that I want. It becomes around, right, you know, how do you want to develop this? How do we get towards these standards? Do we agree that these standards should be in place? And, and how do we do this as a collective and ensure accountability? Um, and then what you find is you've got this, bigger program that's actually now performing really well in lots of different areas as opposed to just a, th a few different themes mm. so how would uh, yeah. you you know one of the things that's kind of coming out there is, is leading other people and, and leading a team of people whether that's not just the small groups that you're coaching but leading other coaches across the club what do you think are some of the things that maybe people don't think about when you go from being an individual coach who's employed under someone else to when you're the head honcho or when you're the head of athletic performance around some of that stuff that isn't the sets and reps and the exercises but those leadership skills you know so many so many times people come to a leadership position they try and just create little mini clones of themselves um, which yep. can you know can work in a very authoritative situation but not yep. always the the best way forward what's been some of your learnings around that transition to leadership with a bigger team yeah you, you you're trying to um you need to meet people where they're at and where their philosophies currently at and, and, and where people are at now is not where they're going to be at in a year's time or they shouldn't be if they're evolving and changing. And what I think is the common theme within this industry and just within people involved in professional sport is, is everyone wants to do better. Everyone wants to develop. So actually that hunger to learn is, is, is probably what um, collaborates people better than anything you know if you want to challenge someone on philosophy then it may become a discussion or an argument but actually if it's in the process or it's in the uh, mindset of getting better then people will probably discuss and be a little bit more open and uh, you know and the reality is that not everything I think is is right um, and the more I'm at it probably the more I think is probably wrong and that if I've got these staff members here um, and they're all actually because we've recruited as well. So whenever we recruit, we recruit for skill gaps or knowledge gaps. We don't recruit what we want to recruit. What we do is take a profile of what the department's doing. What are your strengths? What are your strengths? What are your strengths? Where do you think we're deficient? Where do we need help? And that everyone agrees that, okay, we need help and expertise in this particular area. That's what we go to market for. And that's that person coming in then has already got the buying of the entire department because we all know why they're, why they're coming in and that when they speak on that subject area, they're actually leading that. So um, we, we, we've been working, um, we've been working on, on people being able to make decisions in the program, but taking accountability for that. You know, so ultimately they have areas that they lead, but they've got to collaborate across the entire program, but they've got to be responsible for the areas they lead. Yeah, I think that recruitment piece is a really interesting topic because, you know, often you can speak to practitioners and, and they get recruited to, you know, a team or whatever, but then 
the expertise they were brought in for, they're not actually allowed to, to bring to the table or it's not aligned with the head coach's philosophy or whatever. So oftentimes, you know, I laugh when you see teams bring in, you know, a whole load of experts and they think, well, you've paid these people to be here and then you're not listening to them. And mm-hmm. um, so it's, it's, you know, great to hear that sort of situation where you're saying, you know, look, we brought you on board for this. You're as much as you're here to learn from us, we're here to learn from you and, and, you know, giving people, I guess, a little area of authority where it's like, look, this is, we're going to come to you about these questions or we're going to come to you for this knowledge. I think that's really refreshing and important to, to see that people are bringing different yeah. skill sets and it's not just mini clones. I think we're, we're, we're lucky that we, we have a head coach that, that sets the themes around if you're in this environment, these are the kind of themes that you will work towards. And one of, one of those is personal growth through through squeeze every drop. One of those is power of us, which is which is the collective and, and the collective being stronger than the individual. Um, and then squeeze every drop, which is which is self-development. So it's never really a personal um it's never really a personal conversation when you're talking around, well, if you're here and you've been explained that this is what this is how we operate and this is who we want to work with. And we're recruiting to those values, then I don't think there's you don't have too much of an issue. You know you've got someone with a growth mindset coming in, and if you've recruited right, then you know that they'll be open to conversations around situations, and that actually, okay, you you may be the speed guy, but your responsibility is speed the development and the output, but the how is the responsibility of the collective. It's just you. You're responsible for making sure it gets done and making sure that get that gets facilitated. Um, so they can operate within the system. They can lead within a system, um, but that doesn't mean that they've got to do that on their own. And nor should you know to be successful here, you shouldn't do it on your own either. Because because you know the same philosophy as what I've got to use. Not everything I know is is true and correct. It's an interesting one. Uh as well because you know it sounds great in an ideal world where everyone kind of gets along collaboratively but it's yeah, not yeah. always how it works so what yeah. about some of the the kind of conflict resolution stuff how, how have you gone through some of the things where there maybe are differing opinions how do you decide right well this is the course of action we're going to take yeah i I've, i think the the longer i've gone on in this role the the kind of themes of cpd we do we do as a collective rather than individually um because I think what you used to find is people go to their strengths and they will go to their, they'll reinforce what they believe as opposed to challenging what the, what they believe. So they'll probably go out there and find someone that's doing something that they're already reading about, that they're already interested in. And therefore, they ultimately, whatever they say, they get this guru status and they go down a path with that where really what we'll try and do now is do collective learning and we'll either bring people in or, or we've even started opening our CPD up to to um, practitioners outside. So we'll we'll sell a number of places on our courses, um, and it'll be they'll be our CPD events. But also we'll invite other people in because we want to network with other people within the sporting environment across Ulster, or across Ireland, you know, across Ireland and the UK if they want to come across. But uh, but ultimately, the, the mindset that we've got is. We're trying to learn from people. We're trying to learn from different people. So when you go on that, you know, we're doing some work at the moment around speed, for example. We'll do that as a collective. We'll we'll then evaluate as a collective. What do we like about it? What do we not like about it? Where do we want to go with it? What changes do we want to make? And then those changes, I think, probably got more chance of sticking and everyone understands why those change, uh, changes are in place. 
Um, and then that, that's what I feel that, you know, the development is. Yeah, that's a really good point because I think um, collective CPD does feed back into what you're saying around that, creating that discussion, isn't it? Because, yeah. you, you know, I don't know, you could go to a, a workshop on shoulder rehab and someone's got some different ideas and saying, well, what do you think about that guy? Well, actually, I'm not sure. I found this works a lot better or, you know, whereas, as you say, if you go off in your silo and you do an online course on your own and you think this is great, how do I get everyone up to this you know, level of knowledge? It can be difficult to bridge oh, the gap. Hard. So hard, yeah. So, so hard, you know, to, you can't tell people what to do. You know, you can guide people to places, but ultimately they've got to be involved in it and they've got to come, arrive you know, on their own. I think if you do it collectively, they just arrive that a little bit faster and they're alive with some allies as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then ultimately see, like, you know, not everyone has to agree either. I think if you're in a place, I think if you're in a place as well where you've maybe put 10 opinions across and none of them have landed, then there's a problem. But I think if you can accept that, I may say 10 things, uh, three things get thrown off the table, three things get discussed around, and for actually make it to some kind of change, I think you'd be fairly happy with that. You know, and it, it doesn't become about you and your ego. It just becomes about what's right for the program, what's right for the athlete, what's right for the club. Hmm. Have you had to manage any difficult individuals, that like people that maybe weren't, you know, congruent with the direction you want to take things? Or have, has everyone been fairly on board from the get-go? Um. Well, obviously, I think we, we we've arrived at this at this current way of of kind of discovery um, because we've probably been in those situations in the past in in the past. But you know, I think they, they are working to to some degree because you know we we keep the people on board. The, the, the people that have left the program have gone on to bigger and better roles. I've uh, gone to head positions at, at at different clubs, you know. So I think that's the, that's the sign of success as well. Not that not that we're responsible for their for the reason that they got those those roles, but you you kind of think, look, if people are looking at this program and they're taking people from it into bigger roles, that's a good sign. You know, people aren't leaving just to get out and just to go somewhere else. People people are staying and leaving if they if they go on to better things. And I think that's what we want. We're, we're quite comfortable because we're quite systemized in what in, in how we operate. We're quite comfortable for people to leave because it's a good sign for us as long as they're going on to bigger and better things. And it gives us a chance then to recruit in specifically for where we're at at that time for someone that's going to move us forward for, for the next couple of years. So people coming in and out is not really... Um, is not really a huge problem with, with that. I suppose what I'm saying is that if, if someone was that um, unhappy with the the conflict or with, you know, it wasn't working out then, I mean, the, the, the simple fact is it's not the right place for, for them. Mm. You know, and I guess that's where you think maybe, did, you know, did we, you look at your recruitment process and say, did we go through that recruitment process right? Because we maybe didn't get the right individual. Yeah, you, exactly. And you've got to, you know, and that's why you've got to take your time with recruitment. Um, and I suppose that's something I've learned here as well. I think before I would have, um, I would have recruited fast and fired slow. And I think mm -hmm. now it's a case of re recruit slow and you probably don't need to fire then, mm -hmm. you know. So uh, taking your time, different recruitment processes, um, you know, it pays off in the end. Although it, it, it's, you know, you, you've got to, you might be three months without someone ultimately you get the right person the, the program then what they bring actually that accelerates everyone forward again mm. 
So give us a bit of an insight into a, a day in the life of a head of athletic performance at Ulster. Obviously, that will vary massively if it's an off day or if it's a match day or if it's a training day. So what does that look like and, and how does the, the overlap between the, the Irish um, Rugby Association work as well? Yeah, so you've, you know, uh, typical we, we, with most clubs, you know, like the systems, they're, they're kind of the same. Guys will come in and do do the wellness and they'll do the breakfast and you'll, uh, then you'll get into your various aspects whether they're doing team meetings, reviews, units, or you're doing athletic development work. So, um, you know, they're kind of like the things that would be consistent uh, through through the day. Um in terms of mine, we, we, we would we would be getting together as medical and athletic performance staff to, uh, to review and, and share the screening and, and what issues are occurring, what changes might need to be made to training for those individuals or to, to basically, our goal from that is probably to take 15 issues, package them up into 10 that we can deal with without it affecting the programme, um, five that may then need to be shared with coaches in a further meeting, like a really quick meeting before we go to training, where we may need, look, this player can't do all the training, but what aspects of training is really important for him to do? Um, then we'll figure that, negotiate that with the coaches. They'll go through the session plan, which which we'll do. We, we start doing early in the morning, actually, which has been really good. Everyone understands what, what the outcome we're looking for is. Um, and then... You know, we we get busy in terms of prepping prepping the guys. We we have themes in terms of what we do. We we have movement health on on, on most training days, so that'll either be a recovery focus or it'll be a priming focus. And then we'll either do acceleration or speed pre field session, and we'll do that partly in the gym, partly on the three G, and then we'll we'll travel to the training pitch to uh, to train, and then we'll typically do the athletic development work in the afternoon or 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 on the morning, depending on what day it is. And what about the overlap with the the Irish uh, Association? So, how how frequently are you in contact with them? What are kind of some of the the things that go backwards and forwards? Yeah, so they they just be um, kind of shared um, shared system to GPS in terms of recording of training load, whether that's in the gym, um, shared uh, screening, and and that's a two way kind of relationship. So every, everything goes in. To a centralized system but you know we we, we get we get uh, visuals back we get feedback as to where we're at regarding that and and we'll have agreements in terms of what we're collectively as a as a uh, country trying to work towards and then we'll we'll marry that with what we want at, at Ulster as well and you know it's usually not too conflicting actually in terms of what, what what we're after it's just it's just basically accountability for really good practices so it works really well um, and then we'll get feedback as to where, we, where we're at. So, so yeah. tell us a bit around uh, what's next for you in the next sort of 12 to 18 months. Any projects coming down the pipeline or is it just in the thick of the, the season till the, the end of the light of the tunnel? Yeah, well, tough, tough. we're going through a tough patch at the moment, uh, but we're, we're making some really good progress as, as well. So the results are, are kind of matching the, the effort that's going in. Um but if we trust the process, you know, that I think the good results are going to come back fairly soon. So, you know, we're still hopeful this season, making a push in, in Europe and in the league. Um, and then we've got a bit, a bit of a different pre-season because it's World Cup year. So um, we, we will get an extended pre-season, which we're trying to look at now in terms of what opportunities that gives us. Um, and then the national players will obviously, there'll be a short pre-season and they'll be into World Cup preparation, so they'll be with Ireland. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm actually quite excited by what this pre-season will be because we've got a little bit of time to play with. 
and we may look at some different themes in terms of how we develop um, players individually. And that could be physically or skill-wise. We'll, we'll we'll work with the coaching staff on that. So yeah, I think it'll be a good, uh, it'll be challenging, and, and and there'll be some good things come out the next preseason. And uh, yeah, we, we we just we're 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 trying to become a, a, a triple C team, which is consistently competing for championships, um, and that's what we've been doing for the last three years. But ultimately, we're trying to make the jump to to winning silverware. Uh, so we don't feel that's that's far away. Uh, we're just going to keep reinvesting in in getting better. Yeah. Well, best of luck for the uh, the rest of the season and then you know, getting a, a turnaround in, in the results. If people are interested in learning a bit more about, about you and what you're doing, what's the best place to go? Is it a LinkedIn? Is it Twitter? What's Where do you hang out? Yeah, uh, link, yeah I'd say LinkedIn is probably the, the best place because uh, it's easy to find and you can you can just message through there. Uh, Twitter at T Cluffy, we, we, uh, which is C-L-O-U-G-H-I-E. I think, um, but yeah, you'll, you'll you'll find me on there, and and if you send a request, I'll accept. And uh, look, you know, I love talking to different people. Open doors at Ulster as well. Not nothing to hide, everything to share, everything to learn. So uh, we're interested. If, if people contact us, we want to learn from them as well. So by all means, if you if you are listening, then then get in touch. Well, thanks so much for your time today, mate. Thanks for taking a break from your your busy schedule to to speak to us and share with us. I think there's some great stuff there around you know, leading a team of other practitioners and creating that collaborative environment. So thanks for your your insights and your experience. Spot on, Rob. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love your support by leaving a rating or review on your chosen podcast player. You can also find us on social media using at LTAD Network. Thanks for listening to this episode and don't forget to get your seven day free trial to our online platform as well as 50% off your first month with the code LTADVIP50.